And we're live. Honorado and Bagnardi here on the Facebook page. Chris Honorado, Sean Bagnardi. We're on Twitter as well uh, this morning, trying to catch up with all of the things that are or aren't happening in terms of live sporting events returning. We have golf bags. There's something to be happy about, right? We've had NASCAR. We have golf. Soccer is next. And then we'll get into, obviously, the NFL, NHL, and whether or not Major League Baseball can get its sorry act together. How are you, man? I'm good. It's certainly a slow burn with bringing sports back. It's like we have to ride out the the secondaries, the, your, your NASCARs, your golf, yep. to get to where we want to be. Um, but at this point, just having anything competitive back is nice to see. And I'd rather watch the golf that we have now versus you know football players playing golf. But we already had that argument. We don't have to go there again. Yeah, exactly. So maybe you're watching the Charles Schwab challenge in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I was up early this morning, rough morning at home, couldn't sleep past five o'clock. So I went downstairs and I thought, well, let me watch Sports Center. But instead of Sports Center, Shawnee, you know what was on? It was Korean yeah. baseball. Yeah, sure. So sure. I watched KBO. And Boog Shambi was on, and he looked like he had just gotten a fresh cut. Now, yeah. big news, this is a haircut day for me. When we first started the show, the reboot of it, if you will, it was middle of April, early April. So we're just about two months in at this point. Yep. And we talked with Boog then about like, hey, when's the last time you got your haircut? Well, it's been another two months. I'm like officially at the four-month mark. And I'm yeah. I'm fired up today to get a little bit of a trim. You almost are to the point where you should have to pay extra for it. I mean, you're talking about some significant work. I was able to get one. Uh, was it last week? But you are in trouble. But yeah, look I, like I noticed. Like, look at us. We look like you. The, the appointment comes into my phone, and it's usually – set for I think a half hour, but this was a 45 minute block. <laughs> yeah. So okay. They know. They know. So they know what they they're in for. Quickly yeah. on the KBO bags, two names who which you will know and I think some of our our viewers will know as well. Um it was Kia versus SK. The manager of one of those teams is none other than I had no clue. Was none other than Matt Williams. Oh yeah. Sure. Former Giants third baseman, former Diamondbacks manager, now manager, managing in Korean baseball. And the guy who got the win on the mound was former Mets reliever. I think his first name's Drew uh, Ganyan. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. It's good to know that he, that those kind of guys don't fall off the face of the earth. They just go to the other side of it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, hitting phase three in certain parts of New York, right? How much longer for us in the capital region? Next week. It's supposed to be Wednesday next week. So we're getting there, man. But five five regions opening today, phase three, yeah. which means indoor dining at restaurants. We They pulled a fast one and kind of out of the blue said, okay, outdoor dining at restaurants should be fine. But, yeah, things are – if things don't go horribly the other direction – which they very well could still. If they don't, we're getting close, thankfully. And things are going in the wrong direction in some states that opened up earlier than New York. Uh, yeah. Florida is one of them. Texas is another, uh, where we're talking about potentially college football in Texas, obviously. But, but also the NBA had targeted Orlando and the Disney Wild World of Sports Complex. Like, listen... Any if there's a place that's centrally located with multiple arenas in this country that can hold an NBA regular season finish of a couple of weeks or whatever, and then the playoffs, it's Orlando. But what we've seen in Orlando is that the coronavirus cases now have risen since that state has reopened and specific to that city and that region. And so what we're hearing now is that NBA players are like, whoa, I, I don't know that we're comfortable about entering this bubble that may not be as, you know, foolproof, 
as was originally thought, and Carmelo Anthony's one of those guys to say, I don't know that I'm cool with with jumping into this thing and not knowing exactly what I might get exposed to. The, the NBA plan here all of a sudden, Shawnee, is on shaky ground. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. And see, when we talk about people just kind of say a resurgence or a second wave, it's important to remember that anything still happening right now is part of the first wave. It's not a second wave just because we did some social distancing and brought the numbers down. And then if the numbers were to come back up, no, a second wave would be a resurgence of the virus, which a lot of the experts have said could happen in the fall. So that that's still down the road. What we're seeing here, so that, and that's only an if, but it's certainly a real possibility. But what we're seeing here is still just more of the first wave. We haven't kicked this thing. We haven't shaken it yet. And if the numbers are going to come back, we, we also really haven't fully seen the kickback of any fallout from the protests and thousands and thousands of people in the streets not socially distancing. We haven't really seen those numbers yet. So that's another thing that could add to it. But just the fact that things are relaxing are probably going to lead to an increase in the numbers because people become careless. People become complacent about it. They think it's done. And as a result, they make it not done. But then you have to just kind of gauge everybody's individual decision making here is, OK, if, if we're going to try to go back to something of, of normalcy prior to the middle of March, um, then what is our level of comfort with an increase? Right. Is there is there a certain number of cases where we say, OK, you know what? Not ideal, but not a huge deal. Is, is there that number that, I guess, people individually, people at a government level are, are targeting and saying, you know what, if it's, if it's 100 in each region, is it, is it that big of a deal? I, I don't know what the number is. I'm talking about bigger cities, obviously, yeah. than, than where you and I are. Um, but you're right. I mean, to understand what the impact of the protests and demonstrations have been of tens of thousands of people in city streets, yeah, they might be wearing masks, but they are all huddled together. We're still probably two weeks away from knowing. Right. So, and you're right. The whole thing with it is it is a balancing act. And, you know, the top epidemiologists, health experts involved in this will tell you that this virus is not going to slow down on its own until 60% of the population is infected or until obviously you have a vaccine. So the only way to really get to that 60% without the vaccine is for the virus to spread on its own. Uh, the issue is that if it goes too fast, you overwhelm the healthcare system. So I do think to, to some degree that they're okay with, right. you know, reopening a little bit, the numbers go up a little bit. You, you know, you kind of have to throttle it. You have to kind of ride that wave. The issue is when you're talking about playing competitive sports, um, Certainly, you can't play it with fans, and I know that's not the plan, but but if you're going to play it, we run into these issues of you know, you've got all of these guys are going to be in the city, like Orlando, for instance, if, if we're talking about the NBA. You know, what happens now? One, the, the likelihood that one or two or three players become exposed is far greater, and then you know what happens when you get to that point? So that's why, for me, I say I don't think it's going to happen because, number one, too many people might just become too concerned about playing. But also, if you do play, you're going to wind up in a situation where you might have to stop playing. And I think that's worse than if you just don't play. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like you get everybody in and then one or two or a few players or family members test positive. Right. Then what do you do? And we talked about this in terms of baseball and and I don't know that we've brought it up specific to basketball or hockey yet, but let's say you are in the middle of the Eastern Conference Finals. And Giannis and Ted DeCumpo, maybe he doesn't test positive, but but somebody in his traveling party tests positive. Well, then what do you do? Because he's technically supposed to self-isolate and quarantine because he's been in contact with somebody who tested positive. Now you tell me you're going to take the best player from the Bucks off the floor. It, it, it just creates so many problems. Um, maybe you don't have to do that. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe there's a level of comfort from the league standpoint and other players who say, you know what, we're going to go on no matter what. And look, 
when we started shutting things down in this country, and you tell me if, if you think the assessment's right or wrong, a lot of it was to make sure that we didn't overwhelm the healthcare system. Of course, yeah. we wanted to protect people and we don't want people to die from coronavirus on it, but we, we saw how it was crippling other healthcare systems around the world and, and thought, you know what, we don't have the ability to take right. on as many patients uh, as would be required in this case. So if we're going to live as if, you know what, some cases are okay, but not an overwhelming number, then maybe maybe that's kind of what we're willing to accept. Right, but in order to keep it from getting to that overwhelming number, you do have to take the precautions like we took early on, like when you start to see people get infected. So for instance, your example is right. I mean, if somebody like Giannis gets, gets sick, yeah, you might say, okay, well, you know, we're all right with a certain number of people, but you still have to control the spread at that point. So yes, you then still have to self-isolate for two weeks. And in your example, that's right in the heart of when you'd want your guy out there. So, and I think too, the, the more that it becomes like, well, there's going to be an asterisk on the season anyway, the less guys are going to want to risk themselves to come back and compete for a championship that might not be worthy uh, in their eyes. So Again, it might come down to the players really just putting up more of a fight and saying, like, we're, we're not going to do this. I mean, by the way, I also don't love the idea of finishing the NBA season when the next season is already supposed to be starting, because now you're really throwing a lot of things out of whack, too. Yeah, I mean, you can see the bottom of your screen there. Major League Soccer is supposed to come back. That's gameplay July 8th. NBA camps right around the same time. NHL camps as well. Both of those seasons wouldn't resume until really towards the end of July, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, look, I'm with you when, you know, you try, and, and we have golf and NASCAR already back here. Um, yeah. So you, but Shawnee, you were just saying that you don't love the idea of what bringing these guys back and, and not having a full schedule still to play. Yeah, so for me, it's about, you know, again, I want this season to finish legitimately, and I want us to feel like we're going to crown a champion appropriately, but I also want to feel that way about next year and the following years, too. So that, that's that's the only thing I'm saying here is, and the players might look at it as like, look, what do we, all the stuff that we're risking to compete for this season that's going to do X, Y, and Z as a result. Maybe it just continues to not be worth it for them if if we see the numbers go the wrong direction in a place like Orlando. Yeah, and so the NBA Finals would conclude like middle of October. Then they're talking about starting the next season early December. Uh, really yeah. short turnaround when you start thinking about guys like LeBron James specifically. According to ESPN, though, they'll get to Orlando and within two months – they're going to eliminate a majority of the teams before you, that would basically be, so you get what eight teams left. You're going to be into the, the conference semifinals before you even hit the two month mark, which you're talking about getting as many people in and out kind of as, as quickly as possible. There's no travel time, obviously. Right. So you might as well start stacking these games one right up against another as, as, as quickly uh, as possible because we're live here on Facebook, take your comments, love doing this part about it. Uh, this is funny from Billy. My dad watched me play NCAA 14 on my Xbox. It was the closest thing to live sports for him. <laughs> Look, it's competition. You know, where you're competing. Esports is the chart. Yeah. No, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, speaking of college football, um, the, the NCAA is, is going to vote on a plan middle of next week. And this is a quick sidebar. Um, middle of next week, about a, a six-week, I believe it's a six-week practice schedule. And again, that's going to be its own kind of litmus test for, okay, can we actually hold physical competitions and not see an increase in coronavirus cases? Uh, I think you have, to, you have to dip your toes in the water and you have to be ready to retract the foot pretty, pretty quickly, depending upon what happens. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Um, look, it's right, all Don't we have to try? Don't we at least have to try? Yeah, you have to try. You have to try. 
And I think that the leagues are doing a pretty good job of trying, you know, trying to balance out their player safety, the economics of the game, and trying to just bring back the sport that we all love and follow and, and want. It's a very difficult process. Certainly not as difficult as what we're seeing politicians have to deal with in this public health crisis, but you know, some of the similar things come into play in terms of what you have to take into consideration when it comes down to health and the economy. And it's very difficult. And I'm with you. You have to try. And, and that's what we're seeing. So I'm not, I'm not going to fault any league for trying and for wanting to play and wanting to bring back sports. I just think at some point it becomes not worth it. And, and that point for me is mostly hinged on what happens with the numbers, you know, whether or not it's worth that risk. Yeah. And look, I, you know, I'm not saying that like, I'm all of a sudden going to get careless in this world, still wear a mask when I need to wear a mask. Um, but Ash and I, for the first time in however many months, we went out and had dinner a couple of nights ago. Um, and it is interesting to observe other people. It's like just kind of a great social experiment. Um, people who are like, feeling as if all of a sudden there's this freedom thrust upon yeah. them. It really is a, a sight to be seen. Um, people who are like relieved to take off the mask, just happy to be outside with other people, having a meal at a restaurant, even though it's outdoors. Um, it, it's, it's a really strange time, but, but one that we are like willing to, like you said, you have to, you have to at least try. Yeah. And, and there's some risk involved, no doubt, but you can mitigate a little bit of that with doing some of the things we've talked about for months now, washing your hands. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not putting your fingers in your mouth yeah. some simple stuff that we should just be abiding by from a daily hygienic standpoint. And then of yeah. course, wearing a mask like that. What I, what I don't like what we've seen is, you know, the people, there were people who sort of cared a little bit about following all those things when this was really at its peak and now who totally don't care at all. Yeah. And then there were people who really didn't care that much at the beginning who have now gone to the point of where like, you know, it was a hoax or half of this is all just the political scheme of it now. I mean, there, there's too much of that too. This is clearly a serious, serious public health issue. Like we have never seen in our lifetimes and it is not over. It is not over. It, it can be heading toward being over if we stay vigilant in what we need to, but it's not over yet. And I think too many people have taken the approach that it is, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who feel like, okay, we, one, we've either made it through, or yeah. two, to hell with all this. Enough. Yeah. I've been inside for too long. Haven't been haven't been able to live my life the way I normally would for right. too long. And I'm and ready to, no matter the consequence, I'm ready to just go. Right. And those will be the people, yeah. the people, ironically, who will wind up keeping us in it far, far longer. The ones who, who want it to be over with quicker are the ones who are going to make it last longer. What the heck is baseball doing? Uh, the rock man taking a shot at you early on. I, I don't know what the let's, but he says Mets aren't going anywhere this year, Bags. <laughs> Nobody's going anywhere yet. Yeah. Listen, I don't know what baseball's doing. Somebody help us out here. Uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, says he's 100% sure there will be baseball this summer. Look, and he has that power. He can force the teams to play 50 games. He has that ability. Now, what we've seen is a ridiculous back and forth posturing between the owners and the Players Association in terms of games played and salaries paid out. It's, it is absolutely absurd. And I, there are people bags who are taking the side of the owners here and saying the players are being ridiculous. I don't understand a word of that, to be honest with you. Players have a finite amount of time to make real money in this sport. Owners can be in control and make billions every single year until they're into their 70s if they wanted to. If I'm a player, I am I am not playing for anything less than what we've already agreed to. And that was an appropriate prorated salary, no matter the number of games. 
And then mm-hmm. the owners want to walk this thing back a little bit and try to save some because I understand they're going to lose significant money here on a shortened season. I get it. Everybody is. But if somebody's going to take a larger hit, it should be the owners, not the players. Yeah. Baseball's the worst at this, aren't they? Oh. I mean, they are absolutely the worst. And no matter which side you take in this, it's ultimately the fans who get hurt by it and the sport who's going to get hurt by it because baseball always hurts itself right when it's right when it seems like it's got a chance to do something really good. Like, you know, the, the strike obviously in the 90s set the game back. And then it, it, it came back, it came back, it came back, and then we had the steroid era. And it was like, <laughs> okay, you know, people are questioning their fandom and this is going to be a hard thing for the game to overcome. And you feel like just when, you know, it's sort of now starting to come back from that, here's another reason to give fans – to, to give them to just hate the whole process of it, to, to sort of hate the players, hate the owners, whatever it is. It's just another reason to be upset with your favorite sport. And it's unfortunate. It's like baseball can just never get this right. A Carl Ravitch, who's as big of a baseball fan as there is out there and obviously covers it for ESPN, tweeted something earlier this morning. I love baseball, but I really don't like it right now. And that's, yeah. I think that's the general feeling is it just this sport always seems to feel like it is so far removed from reality. They're so out of touch. And it's both sides. It's not just the owners. It's not just the players. While I'm taking the player's side in this instance, it's both sides routinely just out of touch. And they just don't get it. Like, never do they have their finger on the pulse of the fan. And that that is so disappointing in all this. And you know what? Just in general, baseball takes too much for granted. Like, we're America's pastime. We'll be fine. Like, I got news for you. You're not the NFL in the United yeah. States. You are not. I know basketball ratings have been hurting, but the popularity of basketball globally has soared in recent years. And, you know, it has that star power, the the identifiable names and athletes. Like, baseball, you know, it's it's not – what it used to be in this country. So I think baseball needs to stop taking a lot of things for granted, taking itself for granted as much as it does and really do whatever it can to find a a quick and peaceful solution to this and give the fans some baseball this season, because baseball of all the sports, all the major team sports should, it should be the easiest for them to pull this off despite the public health concerns and it seems like it's going to be the most difficult for them. And that's just not how it should be. So, and I hate, I don't want to do this every week, but we very well might. You said you don't think we'll see the NBA come back in the form that they're proposing in Orlando. Do you think we'll see baseball this year? No, for the same reason. Because I don't, th- I think ultimately we're not going to see any of it because. I have this fear and this belief now that the numbers will will go the wrong direction, especially as we continue reopening around the country to the point where now when you project it out a month, a month and a half, when we want to have these regular season games starting in basketball, it'll be too late. That's what I'm worried about. And, and even if they're able to go then, I think the situation will be so different by then that they'll be concerned about finishing at that point and then maybe won't start as a result. Well, I, I, I said it more than a month ago, probably more than two months ago now at this point, um, that I, I, I didn't think we were going to see any team sports until the NFL. Mm-hmm. And whether or not we see the NFL, I don't know. But I, I just didn't think we'd see any team sports until the NFL, that that, that would be the absolute earliest. So speaking of the NFL, Shawnee, if we do get a season – and I guess even if we don't, right, teams are going to have to fill their rosters in anticipation of a season. Right. What's 0, 50, or 100s here? An NFL team will sign Colin Kaepernick this season, 0, 50, or 100. Okay. So this one's tough because how good is he still? How good is he now, right? Um, 
the reason he didn't get a job when he was good enough to have a job. And look, I, I was, I was down on Kaepernick for his talent. And I, I thought a lot of teams just flat out didn't want to give him a job because they didn't think he was what he used to be as a player. And then when you just, just kick in that extra stuff, he, you know, that made him totally radioactive. Now, that being said, so so that was that was we're not going to touch this guy because it's bad PR. Now it would be really good PR to go out and sign this guy. So I do think that teams will be open to it, but he's got to be good enough because ultimately, and I said this back then, NFL teams in the past generally don't care about the PR if they think a guy's really good and can help them win. So I sort of defended the owners a little bit back then, even though it, it did seem clear that even if he was good enough, he wasn't going to get a chance. And that that's the part of it that I didn't like, obviously. But I thought back then that he wasn't good enough and we're going to give him a chance. So, look, I'll say it's 100 now. He, he is going to sign because it's such good PR and – some team who doesn't care about their backup quarterback situation will just take the risk for the good PR. And maybe he's got a little left anyway. So what the heck? Yeah. And the statement here is not that he'll get a workout. Remember they, the NFL tried to get him that workout. Look, you can, nobody showed up. Right? Right. we could debate for days, you know, the, what was behind the NFL doing that maybe create some good PR, but Kaepernick called an audible right that day and said, Hey, I'm going to hold the workout somewhere else. And he had scouts and media scrambling to try to get to that second location. So this isn't about whether or not he'll get a workout. He will, he will get workouts. Um, He hasn't played in four years, four full years. And, and I'm not here to debate whether or not he was good enough then Based on his merits, his last season in the league, he threw 16 touchdowns, only four interceptions. He ran for two touchdowns, ran for nearly 500 yards, right? He was still a relatively effective quarterback. I don't know if he's the guy who's going to go win you a Super Bowl, but on a team as good as the 49ers, like is Kaepernick somewhat comparable to Garoppolo? We could have that conversation. Maybe he is. But back then, he was definitely, so I'm using the 2016 version. Back then, Kaepernick was easily, easily one of the best backup quarterbacks in the yeah, NFL. He, he was good enough to get a job back then. There, yeah, but we but know. we know why he didn't, because teams didn't want to deal with yeah. the protests during the national anthem, taking right. a knee, everything that went along with it. But don't um, you think if he was if he was a spectacular player? Of course. He if it was, if it was Mahomes, they would find a place for him, of course. Correct. But even back then, 100%. Yes. The, yeah. the Niners would have never oh, let him go. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but I'm just, I don't know, four years removed, can he really find his way back into the league? I agree that I think teams will very seriously consider it because it shows that that franchise is, whether or not they are on the surface, that they're progressive. They're now willing to embrace the Black Lives Matter movement. But ultimately, it comes down to whether or not you really think he can play. I think he can still be good enough to be a backup. I'll I'll go 100 here too, even though I'm not – my entire heart's not in it. But I'll go 100. That I think he ends up on a roster somewhere because he's got to be good enough to at least be a backup. Well, he doesn't have to be. All right, next year. But he's not old. He's still only, what, 31. Uh, So he's, you know, he's not old by any means. Uh, Next 0, 50 or 100 here bags. Baseball's the team sport least affected by an absence of fans. I mean, thought about this a little bit this morning. And boy, I'm a yes here. I'm a yes. I think in baseball. This is not a yes or no. Hundred, hundred. Okay. Yes, um, I think baseball. It, when we talk about like a home field advantage, I think that has more to do oftentimes with the climate that the home team is playing in, maybe the time zone. If we want to get into that, 
Um, the dimensions of the field, right? That's unique to baseball that doesn't exist in the other three major North American team sports. So I, I think baseball's – I do. I think it's the team sport least affected by an absence of fans. I think you're going to throw NHL at me because a lot of teams tend to win on the road in the playoffs. But but I'm, I'm going to go baseball. If you just in a vacuum, you said, hey, no fans, in which sport does it matter least – I think it's I think it's baseball. I'm 100 here. All right. Well, as usual, you're right. But you don't point out the important issues here. Um, yes, this is a 100 for me as well. It it's it doesn't the fans don't play as big a role in momentum swings like they do in other sports, right? In basketball, when Golden State hits a couple shots in a row and that play starts going crazy that seriously impacts what happens next in football. We can see it affect momentum and, and, and home field advantage is so critical in the NFL playoffs. Um, and hockey, look, even though teams win on the road, I still think it's that same thing where you have that momentum. I mean, you know, when a team is taking shot after shot and, and if they're on a power play or things are building and the, the anticipation is is building and the fans are going crazy. It just feels like they're going to get over the hump partially because of the momentum that they feed off of from the fans. Baseball, what are you going to tell me? Yeah, but, yeah, but not, not to talk myself out of, out of our answer here, but, you know, on a 3-2 count with two outs and the home team on the mound and the, and the crowd's going crazy, you can't tell me that that doesn't have an effect on the batter at the plate. Of course it does. In the playoffs, it might regular season it's i don't yeah okay you know it's it's not you know it's the seventh inning and you know Degrom is out there and he can end an inning with a strikeout i i don't think that's affecting the batter like it would in a playoff game okay but as we've established on this show plenty of times all that matters in life is what happens in the postseason well, I agree with that. But also the least affected by the absence of fans right now is because baseball would obviously be starting in the regular season, whereas these right. other sports would have to start in the playoffs. I mean, that's that's the big difference right now, too, just because the timing of it. Yeah. All right, final 0-50 or 100 here. Uh, this weekend, ESPN has got the 30 for 30 coming out. Long gone summer. I cannot wait for it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, 0-50 or 100, it's time to glorify what Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa did in 1998 uh zero and i don't think that a documentary necessarily is to glorify something but this is a zero there should never be a time to glorify this these guys we know what they did these guys were cheaters these guys set the game back ultimately that was a heck of a summer it was so much fun but these guys, in addition to Barry Bonds, are the sort of poster childs for a very bad era in baseball, an era that I was just talking about that set the game back. And, you know, baseball's tried long and hard now to fight back from that image, and they still are. Like, ultimately, it was bad for the game. It was great for that summer. It was great for the game in that moment. It's terrible for the game in the long term, and it's still something baseball is dealing with today. Concerned, right? Guys are good. They're really, they still ask the question, hmm, I wonder. You know what's funny, though? Um, because other people have said this, high-ranking baseball officials have said that summer of 98 saved the sport. That coming off the strike in 94, you then had Ripken in 95, I believe it was, breaking Gehrig's consecutive games, played streak. That did that did wonders to bringing people back to baseball that summer but it was 98 where the fan interest exploded i mean i remembered 98 so like first of all 98 you, you, i don't have you don't have a cell phone you're not getting daily updates or hourly updates on your phone there's no twitter there's barely an internet really it's aol dial up at that point and it's not like you're jumping on the computer every 20 minutes to find out what's happening in a game. It was later that night where it was like, okay, we sit down and watch SportsCenter. What did yeah. McGuire and Sosa do today? I mean, that that was literally it. SportsCenter at night 
became appointment television every single night the Cubs and Cardinals played because it was what did Sosa and McGuire do? And that was even for just the casual fan because they knew 1961 was a long time ago. And that's the all-time record. Roger Maris, 61. These guys are chasing it. Oh, my God, I need to see if they hit one today. And so for two guys who who effectively saved the sport, you're telling me that they've also really – I mean, you do you think they did more damage than good? Yeah, I think they did in the long term. I think if it's it, – you'll never know the answer to the question, but I think the question you have to try to ask is how many people – did they bring to the game versus how many people were ultimately pushed away from the game because of the steroid era and because of questions about the legitimacy of baseball, you know, in terms of cheating. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever have the answer. I just feel like that was something that, again, baseball still trying to repair the image of and will always sort of have these lingering questions about, and I just don't know if in the long term that will have been worth it for the game. I'll finally answer it here, too. It, for as fondly as I remember that summer, despite all the, the, the fallout afterward, um, it's, a, it's still a zero for me. Only because in a lot of ways I'm a baseball old head and the stats matter to me. The records matter to me. And Maris is 61 and Aaron's. 755, like those to me should still be incredibly significant numbers in Major League Baseball's history. And they are, they are. But even without Bonds, we would be talking about McGuire as the single season home run king. Yeah. And Rosa, who hit more than he hit more than 61 twice in his career. So those guys obviously slanted the record books when now we know it wasn't on the up and up. I think Bonds sort of ultimately hurts it too because it's like, yeah, here's even more evidence of what you can do when you're on steroids. It's like you can't look back and say like, well, yeah, he was, but, you know, it didn't really affect the – like, no, it clearly plays a huge role and and can clearly inflate the numbers – so it makes the whole thing illegitimate. All right, here's our buddy Jeff. Isn't it funny how different sports handle steroids? In football, it's a four-game suspension. No one really seems to care. Baseball, because it's all about the numbers. Everyone goes crazy. Yeah, it's true. And look, as far as we know, quarterbacks aren't the ones taking steroids, right? I mean, it might be a pass rusher who gets popped. So do we? Do we? How much do we really care about? the single season sacks record or the all time sacks record. You know, if, if you found out that a quarterback was using steroids and all of a sudden he's throwing more than 50 home run, 50 touchdowns in a season, he starts challenging Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady records, 10, 15 years from now. um, Then, then I think we'd be having a different conversation about steroids in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, Jeff is right that it's it becomes about the numbers for a lot of people. For me, it's just about cheating and the integrity of the game. I don't like it in any sport. I think it's just as bad, you know, in football, because it's certainly depending on the position, uh, adding to your strength like that gives you a huge advantage. So no, like I don't, I don't like it in any sport. For me, it's cheating is cheating, and it hurts the legitimacy of the game. I think baseball has had more of a culture of steroids uh, more than any other sport, or maybe it's just we found out about it, you know, whereas we haven't in other sports. But I, I think baseball has that that culture and that stigma that's just very hard for them to shake even today. Question from Billy here. Uh, he's an Eagles fan. Can't yeah. stand Dallas. We know that. Uh, what are our thoughts, Bags, on Richard Sherman's comments this week? about the silence from Jerry Jones, someone who has his own press conferences after the games. By the way, Jerry speaks before the head coach after every Cowboys game, uh, but now he's nowhere to be seen or heard from on a topic much larger than football. And Sherman called Jerry Jones out by name on in an interview done Monday. It then appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle on Tuesday. Uh, and I think I think Sherman is is spot on here. It's It's been long enough. 
I don't ever have a problem with people wanting to take their time, collect their thoughts, and then deliver a message. But it's been long enough for the owner of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, to make some kind of statement here, uh, unless we're to take his silence as an opposition to the current movement in the country. If not, though, it's been long enough for Jerry Jones to collect his thoughts, put something together, either on paper or in front of a camera, and say something here in support of his black players, one, but also his black fan base. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of see this one on both sides. The, the first side of it, obviously, is that silence from powerful people is a part of the systemic issues that we're talking about. OK, especially powerful white people in positions very similar to the one that Jerry Jones is in. So there's that side of it. The other side of it is that everybody, everybody does have the right to say or not say whatever they want. And, and as a result, people have the right to, to criticize that or not criticize that. So, you know, he has the freedom of speech and the freedom of silence. And Richard Sherman has the freedom of speech to be critical of that silence. Um, but if we're going to look at the systemic issues, again, I think silence from people in his position becomes a big part of that. So I personally am with Sherman where I would like to see him and, and many others in his type of position speak out. Now, Jerry Jones was someone, and Shot Khan did this, the owner of the Jaguars, but Jerry Jones, who remember, I think it was a primetime game, mm -hmm. knelt yeah. with all his players. Got in the middle of a line, yes, linking arms or hand-in-hand, hand, and took a knee with his players. So, look, in his mind, maybe that was statement enough back then. We're talking a few years ago now that, look, I'm with my players. Uh, I, I stand for Neil for equal rights in this country. That said, if it was his feeling back then, don't you think it'd be easy to come out with a statement today saying, you know, that he supports the current shift in culture in this country. Sure. And it makes you wonder if, you know, you just didn't think that wasn't the right thing to do back then. And you know, now, now, now it raises a bunch of other questions. Again, he has he has the freedom of his own silence. He, he can do that. And there may be reasons we don't know about why he would stay silent. Um, you know, it's it's easy to pass judgment when you don't have all the facts on things and, and even or even to know people personally. But again, in general, silence is a part of the systemic problem that we have. Maybe he's just really working on Dak Prescott's contract. <laughs> no, yeah, that's taking a long time, isn't it? Still, still. Yeah. Uh, Monday, we're right back at it, 11.15, uh, with longtime Mets PR guy. Shawnee, do you know Do you know Jay Horwitz? If I say that name, do you know yeah. Jay Horwitz? Yeah. Absolutely. So he's always present, was, he's no longer with the club, retired, but long, long time Mets PR guy. I was always present at the post-game press conferences. This is a guy who's privy to a lot of behind-the-scenes information, interactions, cannot wait uh, to hang out with him for a few minutes on on Monday. He's got a new book out. It's called Mr. Met. Uh, and we'll talk with Jay about his uh, great career and some of the stuff he witnessed behind the scenes that uh, that we didn't know about until this book came out. So that'll be fun on Monday. What else on the way? Yeah. Up Shawnee? I've got a lot of questions for him. I'm looking okay. forward yeah. to that. Um, no, before we, should, before we get out to here, we should also say kudos to NASCAR for in, in my opinion, anyway, kudos. I know it's a, it's a controversial topic that really shouldn't be a controversial, yeah. but for banning the Confederate flag. Look, th this is the United States, and if you want to fly a Confederate flag or some other idiotic thing in your own front yard, you certainly have the right to do that. But NASCAR and others have the right to say, not in our house. And it's about time that... First of all, it's sad that there could even be enough Confederate flags and NASCAR events to where it would even dawn on them as being something that they could ban, right? The NFL, Major League Baseball, they're, they're not going to ban it because it's just not an issue. So that's an unfortunate indictment, I think, on 
a lot of NASCAR fans. But even in spite of that, I mean, look, NASCAR knows its fan base and they knew this was going to tick off a lot of people. And it's nice to see a big organization like that say, you know, we don't care if we're going to tick off our customers or our clientele. We're going to we're going to do the right thing instead. That's the kind of message that does ultimately help fight the systemic issues also saying, look, even if this hurts us to some degree financially, we're still going to stand up and do the right thing. That's what takes guts. And that's, again, ultimately going to be a part of the longer term change that we need to see. And look, we're, you know, at least a couple of years removed from individual states removing the Confederate flag from state buildings. Yep. Um, so yep. this this was a, a step that is beyond time that we saw. Yeah. And we're seeing Confederate statues come down. I don't have a problem with any of that. The one thing that that I think is a good point to bring up, and I didn't want to use the term slippery slope, but, yeah, but I know where you're yeah, I mean the Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Monument, those people are slave owners. Are they, are they yeah. coming down? Look, look, maybe they should. I'm just saying that you know, once you open that door, be prepared to to walk through it. That's all. And it may or may not be the right thing. I'm not. I'm not saying that here. I'm just saying that if we're gonna, if you're gonna do it, and you really should do it all the way. Look, you can't separate. You can't say, well, this person did right. mostly bad stuff, and this person did some bad stuff and some same bad stuff and some good stuff. So we're going to have that sort of negate it. You can't do that. So if, if you're going down the road, you got to go all the way. Yeah. Look, if, if we want to target the founding fathers here, we're going to start wiping out a lot of history, a lot of his. And again, I'm with you. I'm not here to, to decide if that's the right or wrong thing. But we're talking about erasing a lot of history, things that these guys did, obviously, that, that we now all are benefiting from by some degree. And yet during that time, we're yeah. not given, not treated the way that, that we would want to. Now, look, we're talking about centuries ago. So yeah. this is not, you know, again, it's hard to compare eras. Yeah, um, it is. And it's more about seeing the full history than erasing any history. Correct. But it's sort of like, do you going to have a monument like with an asterisk? Like you can't, you know, it's tough. It's a tough spot. Um, it's good to see this kind of change though, in general here, we're, we're going the right direction with a lot of this stuff. The question is how far does it go? Like personally, I wasn't a huge fan of like pulling cops or, you know, live PD off the air or even like, the gone with the wind disclaimer. I think part of this is people have to be smart enough to understand what they're watching, the time in which something was created. Like it's not, it's not my fault that somebody else could watch something like that and somehow what create some sort of racist vision in their mind. Like, no, like we need to teach people to be smarter than that and to understand what they're watching. And look, part of Part of that education, I think, comes through watching some stuff like that. But again, when it comes to Confederate, it, like that's that that's that's as anti-American as it gets. Like they were an enemy of the United States, and they lost. Like let's let's move on from glorifying that part of our history. And I think the point you just made is why we don't go as far as taking down the Jefferson Memorial um, because we're talking about, to this point, Confederate leaders, right? People who whose objective at that point was to break apart the United States in a lot of ways. We are, but I think it's going beyond that too. I mean, they just took down a, a statue in Albany um, or yep. they're out there about to. They, yep. Yeah. It was someone who was a, you know, a slave trader. So, look, it's, it's, it's a part of the history of those individuals for right or, right or wrong. Oh, I mean, for, it's wrong, yeah. but you know, the statue went up for a different reason. So it's like, 
yeah, if it's got to come down for that other reason, then why shouldn't it come down for others who have that same reason attached to them? That's all. Here's the final thought here, and it's kind of along the lines of what we're saying. You can't erase history you learn from. And I think that's the point. Examples of wrong in our history can be and should be learned from. And maybe that's part of, you know, look, to make the silly comparison, we say it about the, ba- about the Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, there's a baseball in there that was Barry Bonds' record-breaking home run. And for the people who don't like the fact that it's in Cooperstown, well, if you have kids, you take your kids through the Hall of Fame and you explain to them why that ball is there, but why it may not be as legitimate as it appears. And that's that's part of it here is not running from the history, but but learning from it and teaching, using it as a teaching moment. So maybe we throw up a plaque inside the Jefferson Memorial that sure. talks about the slavery aspect. Then you know, let's let's tell the whole history, the whole story, right? because a monument in and of itself is sort of a glorification of a person, and it doesn't tell their whole story. It more just shines a spotlight on them as being some sort of national hero, which. They may have been, even if they do have bad things attached to their name. Um, but again, let's tell that whole story. And maybe it is something like putting that asterisk on it by putting a plaque up or something like that. I think ultimately, maybe we will see that even at some of the bigger national monuments. Maybe that's where this movement goes. Right. To suggest that that we've even plateaued with this current movement, we're, we're not even close We are in the very early stages in terms of the changes we will see, but also I think even in terms of how people are reacting to it uh, in general masses. All right, Bags, enjoy the weekend, dude. Um, We'll be back Monday. We'll react to that 30 for 30. Watch that 30 for 30 on McGuire and Sosa uh, on ESPN Sunday night. And we'll be back with Jay Horowitz, longtime Mets PR guy, with his new book, Mr. Met. 11.15 right here on Honorado and Bagnardi. See you, Shawnee. All right, man.